This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 85 of the Rebel Author Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Christina Adams all about mindset and how mindset can help you improve your craft. But first, to last week's question, which was, do you read graphic novels? And if so, what are your recommendations? So we had uh, Linda who said, what an amazing episode, Sasha. Loved the intro and your laugh at today's Rebel of the Week, which was definitely all sorts of devious. Then the delightful and brilliant discourse between you two. Time has literally flown by listening to this. My take out of the conversation is definitely I'll make a mistake but at least I make a mistake that's better gave me goosebumps and I'm literally slapping this quote on all my inspirational shit thank you both personally I'm not into graphic novels but uh to me a picture is not worth a thousand words interesting Cynthia said if I could afford the artist I would love to turn my superhero series into a graphic novel Edwin said sorry I haven't read a graphic novel since my wife introduced me to Elfquest had a few comments on Instagram as well so Jay Daylery said my favorite right now is still the soulless trilogy of graphic novels based on the parasol protectorate novels by gail carragher oh interesting i didn't know she had graphic novels i have soulless uh ready to read on my shelf so once i've read that i will check out the graphic novels amy um who is at redleaf word serve uh, said, I haven't read a graphic novel yet, but it, uh, it's not something I've investigated. And HB Lines said, I'm not a huge fan of graphic novels generally. I've read some of the Sandman comics by Neil Gaiman and about half the first of The Walking Dead. I do have a bit of hankering to adapt one of my series into this format though. And one of the other things that I did was do a poll because I was interested to see how many people actually read graphic novels and uh, so the results were pretty 50-50 so 56% said yes and 44% said mm, not sure that they would. So I found that interesting. I think it's actually higher than I thought it was going to be. I think I assumed that not many people read graphic novels. Um, but yeah, I'm delighted to see that lots of people do. All right, this week's question is, what aspect of mindset do you struggle with most? Perhaps you don't struggle with mindset at all, um, but I'm interested if there is an aspect of mindset that you struggle with. My book recommendation for the week is The World of Law, Dreadful Places. So I actually listened to this one on audio book. Um, I try to read about one audiobook a month. I don't always manage it. I have two <laughs> credits at the minute so I probably need to get reading. But I read this and I thought it was fantastic and sort of somewhat regretted not reading the paperback only because I think there would have been many things that I underlined. So this book is essentially chock full of locational legends, myths, stories, that have been passed down from generation, all to do with things like 
haunted locations, um, ghost tales, tales of, I don't know, treacherous cities that were full of bad people and pirates and all kinds of things. So all based on, well, I say truth in air quotes, the truth of, of the area and the myth and location uh, that it's been built up in. I am not giving this a very good explanation. Hopefully, uh, law, that would, be, <laughs> that would be the right word. It's based on local law uh, and includes lots of places. It's mostly America-based, but there are a few um, law, uh, local law legend type stories uh, from other places as well, uh, like Italy, I think, was one of them. Uh, what I will say, the reason I'm recommending this is because I feel like when you read books like this, it may not be obvious initially how you will use the stories or inspiration or input or whatever in your in your own stories and books. But that's not really the point. The point is, is that it filters through into your subconscious and sort of sits there and then eventually it will come out at a later date, I always find books like this to be inspiration well, fill, well filling, even if, you know, I'm not transposing the the, the historical legend into, into my own work. But yeah, anyway, I just, I thought you guys might find it useful and interesting. I'm gonna move on. So don't forget the Rebel Author Diaries submissions are open. They are open until the end of June and we are starting to get quite a few submissions now. So don't forget to get your submission in. I will leave a link in the show notes, but you can find out more at sashablack.co.uk forward slash rebel submissions. And if you want to ask me anything about them, feel free to do that. In personal update news this week, I have had um an exhausting week so my wife and I last weekend it was bank holiday here in the UK and I managed to source some wood which uh, my birthday present from her was going to be a uh, wall-to-wall floor-to-ceiling bookcase essentially I just wanted like a fucking huge gigantic bookcase and <clears throat> she was like I will build it, but I'm not painting it. So I was like, okay, that's fine, I'll do that. And uh, oh my God, my 30-year-old body does not recover the way my 20-year-old body did. I It has taken me until this morning for me to feel human. Like this is the first day. It is Friday the 7th of May for, for listeners in the future. Oh, 2021, of course. And <laughs> I literally spent the week feeling like a car crash. Um, it took us until Monday night, so I primed the wood, we painted it, and then we built it, and uh, yeah, it took until uh, Monday night for us to finish and load all the books back in. And so I, I think I've put some pictures on my Instagram stories, it obviously won't be there by the time you listen to this, but I can, I'll try and remember to put one in the show notes, I may not remember, but I'll try. Um, and yeah I I absolutely love my new bookcase like I just shoved the books in in some something of a color order and I'll have to do that later um when, I, when I'm less tired but yeah I adore it I, I, it I feel like it's the bookcase of my dreams which is lovely um and then my dad for my birthday brought me this gigantic purple throne um 
and that happened to arrive this week as well which was lovely so now for an office chair I have this big Chesterfield purple uh, throne like chair and I feel very regal in it and I'm loving it and it's actually surprisingly comfy too so I am thrilled about that this week I have also, I got back in the recording studio and started recording uh, Villains Audio and then <laughs> I hadn't hit save <laughs> on the chapter. <laughs> so this, let this be a lesson to you guys. I didn't hit save at the start and <laughs> my laptop froze and I lost the whole thing. So I am no fucking further forward this week than I was last week with my bloody audiobook, but I am going to try again next week. I've also been having like a few revelations uh, about my fiction and um, this is really hard to admit but uh, I have realised and I have spoken about it before and some of the reasons uh, why I faltered with my fiction uh, but basically I realised that I lost all my confidence with my fiction and I think that is one of the reasons that I have been struggling to just knock uh, Trey and Sirens over the publishing line uh, and obviously I have been working on the centre death in the background and drafting that and I think that is just an excuse uh, because I'm afraid to publish fiction again and I just I don't think I have the answer but I just felt like I should share it because we all have these things in our head and I don't know, like I always feel like being the most truthful is is the only way to be because there, because there are other people who struggle and, you know, I think we can connect when we share our truths and that is my truth right now. I am surprised and shocked that that is my truth, but it is, I, I lost my confidence, a few things happened, uh, some of which I've spoken about and just, I let things get in my brain and they convinced me that I couldn't write. And I don't think I've dealt with them. And so I suppose the realization is, normally when you realize these things, you can like seeing it and knowing it as enough, and then you can get over it. But I don't particularly feel like that is the case for me in this instance. Um, I am not going to let it stop me. Uh, what I am going to do though is uh, I th I'm due to get the side characters book back shortly from uh, Critique Partners so I will be doing those edits and then I will be sending it off to the editor and once I do that I am going to force myself to reopen Trey and just get on with it uh, because I don't hopefully I've said this on this podcast, but I don't allow fear to stop me doing something, even when I'm shit scared. Um, so yeah, but uh, that just doing it didn't feel like enough. I felt like I had to acknowledge publicly <laughs> that, yeah, my confidence has been knocked and I don't really know why. Well, I know I do know why. Well, I know partly why. And then just the insidiousness and the insidious nature of our brains and, and how toxic we can be to ourselves. So yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that. And I think this has been like a two year long thing. Um, yeah, anyway, I don't know. I'm gonna think about it some more and I might have more things to say next week, but um, yeah, I just had to confess. <laughs> to you guys why do I do this to myself why am I why am I confessing my inner 
weirdo <laughs> stupid brain things anyway uh what else have I been doing uh this week oh yeah so I have now formatted I've had the workbook back from the editor and I have formatted that uh so that is almost ready uh for me to order a proof copy I just need to work on the back matter um and I need to work on the resources that will be the freebies for this book so once I've done that I can then send off for uh, the cover template and get proofs and stuff. And this feels really weird because like normally I have revealed the cover by this point and I haven't done it. Um, and I don't know why I haven't done it. I just didn't, just haven't got to that point. And uh, yeah, so I am feeling a little bit behind on the marketing of this book. I don't really feel like I've talked about it very much. Um, but anyway, that that is coming. I will start talking about it uh, much, much more. Certainly once I have had the book back from Critique Partners and I know it's not a total fucking train, train crash. Uh, <clears throat> so if you are listening to this in real time, then today, Wednesday the 12th of May, which feels weird because it's still the 7th, but anyway, on the 12th of May, uh, I will be doing the next exclusive Poison and Prose with patrons. So if you would like to join for that, then you can go to Patreon, Patreon and you can find uh, the links to the Zoom for that. Okie dokie, uh, Rebel of the Week this week is Mira Monroe. Mira says, typically you hear about authors who were voracious readers in their youth. I was quite the opposite. I had a reading disability and was in a few specialised classes to strengthen my reading ability in primary school. To sit and read was like a punishment to me. The shorter the story, the better, because it was agonising. I would speed through the words, not comprehending what I was reading, just to check the box that I had read the words. What I excelled at was art. I had an art teacher who said art was storytelling. She would invoke our imaginations of what different art said to us, how it made us feel, and what we'd take away from it. That resonated with me. Where the various reading specialists and my parents were determined to hit me over the head with practice, at one point, the specialist said I would always be behind and struggle with reading and comprehension. My art teacher gave me the encouragement to discover I was fortunate to have... Oh, sorry. My art teacher gave me the encouragement to discover I was fortunate to have several art teachers facilitate this. And that just continued to manifest in my later years in school too. In college, I took my first creative writing class and loved it. After college is where I fell in love with reading, specifically with what I wanted to read, what moved me, what inspired me, not what I was being told or required to read. Fast forward to my 40s, I published my first novel in 2016 and even won an award for that story. I am finishing up my first series and have plans for several more. The girl with a reading disability from her youth also reads about 50 books a year and it's her favourite pastime. Moral of my rebel story, there are several different roads to writing, don't let others define you and know it's never too late. I love this story so much, I love that um, you turned what could have been a negative into a positive. I love that you like found your love for reading despite all of the odds against you, which I just think is fantastic. And I really related as well to a lot of what you said, particularly about um, reading what you had to read. So <laughs> 
I it always I don't know why I get so shocked that I'm such a rebel. <laughs> I mean, like, it's the name of the fucking podcast. But um, like I realise now how rebellious I was even at school. I basically never read a single book that I was meant to read in school. I don't know how I got such good grades. Um, but I never read the books in English. I only, so like we would read passages during class and that was how I read the books. I wouldn't do the reading that we were supposed to do at home. I never like read any of the, I've literally, I don't think I've read any classics ever. I've read modern classics, uh, but I haven't read <laughs> the classics we were supposed to read at school. I just refused. I hated being told what I, you know, I was a prolific reader even at school and I hated being t dictated to what I had to read. So I rebelled against it. Surprise. Although I don't know, like I am literally surprised by this information. I don't know why I'm surprised by this information. But anyway, um, with one exception. So I didn't, in the UK, we do something called A-levels, uh, or we did when I was at school. Anyway, and, um, <laughs> surprise, I didn't do A-levels. Uh, God, I am noticing a theme with my life. So I did the International Baccalaureate and there were only like, I think eight or nine of us who did it. It was the guinea pig year and um, they were bringing it into our school as a sort of test. And so like only kids who excelled uh, across the board could take it. And uh, so I took the baccalaureate and um, it was much more self-directed, like prepared you a bit more for university than I think A-levels did, where a lot of my friends were still handheld quite a lot. Um, anyway, and in English, we got to choose the book uh, from a list, which was a lot better in my mind than just being handed a book uh, and told to read it. The only exception to that was Shakespeare, who I loved, although it took me a very long time to understand Shakespeare. Anyway, so I read uh, La Peste uh, or The Plague in English by Albert Camus. So like I said, I've read modern classics. And that is the only book, the only book that I read from cover to cover uh, and finished uh, in, in school because it was one that I chose, <laughs> which is just the most ridiculous thing. Uh, so I read this really morbid book about plague, about the plague back in God knows when in France. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think school has it wrong. I really feel like they, to encourage reading, there should be a list that kids can choose from as opposed to being dictated to and told you have to read this. I know that would make it super hard for teachers because obviously if everybody's reading different things, how do you then teach? But I don't know, I, I school nearly killed my love of reading in English and, and uh, yeah, I'm just grateful that my love was strong enough to uh, get around it. Anyway, so that was a massive tangent, but thank you, Mira Monroe. <laughs> like, I'm so tangential today, what's wrong with me? Anyway, uh, if you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or something in between. You can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com, or you can Instagram me at Sasha Black Author. 
One new patron this week, welcome and a huge thank you to Shane Miller and a massive thank you to Janita Kay who actually edited her pledge up. So thank you so, so much for that. I really do appreciate your support. You guys help me to not only keep this podcast running, you help to um, also like pay for my time to do it and also make me feel like what I'm doing is worthwhile and that you still want it to continue. So thank you for that. And uh, of course, that goes for all my existing patrons as well. And if you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, and join joining me for the live Poison and Prose Q and A's, then you can from as little as two dollars a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Sponsors of the week, uh, sponsors of the show this week are Pro Writing Aid. Pro Writing Aid is an editing software that I personally use, and it is genuinely absolutely amazing. I use it as uh, two different things. So my last line of defense as like a grammar checker style editor, um, but also as like a writing mentor because it shows you, um, I don't want to say mistakes, but like areas you can improve um, and things that, that are bad habits. And um, so yeah, I use it before I ship my manuscript off to my editor. Pro Writing Aid is about more than just finding grammar mistakes. It helps you to learn good writing techniques. It has 20 different writing reports that make suggestions and then offer detailed explanations. It also has videos and even quizzes to help you understand the reasoning behind the suggestions. Writing can be grammatically perfect, but still feel awkward and clumsy. Pro Writing Aid searches out elements like repetitiveness, my personal pet food, vague wording, sentence length variation, over-dependence on adverbs, passive voice, over-complicated sentence constructions, and so much more. Of course, Pro Writing Aid will never replace a human editor, but rather it helps you to self-edit to a deeper level so that when you do send off your manuscript to an editor, your editor will be able to focus on the meat of your writing and not spend their time fixing basic issues. Just a quick note of apology. <laughs> I have realised that this has been recording on the wrong mic so the sound quality isn't going to be here this week. Um, yeah I apologise. I don't want to redo the interview because I feel like I would confess my sins again if I redo it. Uh, so yeah, apologies that the sound quality isn't as good as normal this week. It will return to normal next week because I'll bloody check the mic before I hit record. Uh, yeah, forgive me guys, we're all human. I just made a mistake. All right, that's enough from me. Uh, let's get on with the interview. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Christina Adams. Christina is the author of 12 books and too many blog posts to count. She helps writers overcome their creative obstacles on her blog, podcast and courses and over at uh, the Writer's Cookbook which is where I am assuming you can find out all of the links and information to all of aforementioned things. When she's not writing, she's inflicting cooking experiments on her boyfriend or playing with her dog, Millie. Welcome. Yeah, I think my cooking experiments kind of set a foundation for my approach to life. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, tell me about the cooking experiments. What kind of, what, what kind of things do you like to cook? Are you a baker or more of a chef or like? Well, my boyfriend do you... doesn't eat cake. So mm. that puts pretty much all my baking out the window, especially under <laughs> lockdown when I haven't seen anyone in a year. Who does 
Yeah, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> 12 years with this guy and I still haven't convinced him to eat more than like a chocolate cake. Wow. <laughs> so so I tend to inflict like vegan food on him a lot because I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, me too. Really? Yeah, this is an oat milk latte. I'm like oh, nice. super, super nice. lactose intolerant. Although mine's really weird. And, and for listeners, did you realize you were now on the uh, lactose <laughs> podcast? No, uh, so I... I can't eat ice cream. Well, well, I can, but it's disastrous. I mean, mm-hmm. I can, I can, some ice creams are far, far worse than other ice creams. Um, like Haagen-Dazs is really bad. Like, you know, Mr. Yep. Whippies, like the kid ice creams that everybody yeah. wants. I can't eat those. I can't drink milk. I, I can't eat cream, but I can eat cheese and I can eat yogurt. It's because of how they're processed. There's less lactose in ah. cheese and yogurt because they're they go through like fermentation processes. I but see. I got to the point where I was like, this is too much of a minefield. I'm just cutting the lot out. Yeah. And now because it's been so long since I've eaten dairy, like I get a whiff of a chocolate bar and it makes me feel sick, even wow. though I used to eat chocolate all the time. So I, I do always have a stash of dairy-free chocolate in though. And I've said to my friends, because it's my birthday next week, can oh, you just you. get me like loads of vegan chocolate? Yeah, thank you. Um, oh wow, this is just like the same as podcast. <laughs> What day? What day uh, is Tuesday. Tuesday. Oh, okay, so you're the ninth. I'm the tenth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's oh, happy birthday yeah. to the Pisces. <laughs> oh, this is fun. Okay, right. We, we should probably concentrate on what we're supposed to be doing, which is let's get uh, to the writing talk. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to tell everyone a little bit about you and like how you came to where you are at your, this point in your career today? So it's a bit of a long and winding story. So I'll try and condense it. But I started writing when I was about seven, like outside of school, I mean, and I dipped in and out of it for years in various genres. And then I did a BA in creative writing. And after that, I kind of got a bit lost and didn't know what to do. I was quite depressed. I'd moved to a new place, didn't really know anyone. My boyfriend was working like 12 hour days. So, you know, I didn't have anyone. And yeah, I was just in this utter pit of despair. I wasn't writing. If I did write, I didn't save anything that I wrote because I <gasps> hated everything. You know where I'm going, don't you? You, you know that kind of mentality. <laughs> yeah. And I decided to do an MA. And I did it in creative writing as well. But my BA is focused on fiction. So I decided to do poetry and script writing. Mm-hmm. And it really renewed my love of writing and I met some great friends people I'm still friends with now I published an anthology as part of the MA and that kind of gave me the taste for publishing and self-publishing and I already had this book idea I'd been working on since I was 18 and loads of people had said to me like why don't you publish it why don't you publish it I'm like, mm-hmm. you know that kind of lack of confidence seeping in but I ended up rewriting it and changing the setting And that became my first book in 2016. And I decided in 2015 that I was going to do it. And so I very cleverly decided that I would write, edit, publish, you know, do the whole thing basically in a year while working full time and moving cows, which Mm. was entertaining. (laughs) And then not long after I published two books after one book in 2016, two books in 2017. And then in 2018, I was diagnosed with chronic health problems. So I have fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh, my wife has both of those. Yeah, yeah, they're evil, aren't they? They are 
horrendous and there's so much stigma because mm-hmm. from the outside you can't tell there's anything wrong like yeah I, I have used my disabled badge before in a parking space and been glared at by people who think oh you're 30 you're fine and I'm like you're 30 you, know, you can't, can't argue against it I, I'm 31 next week yeah <gasps> you do not look 30 what <laughs> is your secret that is <laughs> I'm, I'm now profoundly jealous of your wonderful skin <laughs> <laughs> makeup and jeans is my secret makeup and jeans but honestly my mum um once got asked how old she was and the person thought she was about 10 years younger than what she was so I'm like I will take that I hope I did inherit those jeans yeah no you did for sure you de- definitely <laughs> inherited those jeans thank you <laughs> um I was trying to think what else I was I was gonna say oh yeah the fight the fibromyalgia it's bloody awful mm-hmm. and I, like I yeah. I really like in solidarity because I watch my wife um mm. go through just absolute trauma and then the worst for me is that I can see the changes like often her skin color changes which is like a really weird thing but if you don't know somebody well you can't really see that skin like that pallor change yeah um and so nobody else really realizes and I'm like oh no like we need to go or um you know whatever anyway yeah um so we're going to talk a little bit about uh mindset and um so I wondered if you could start by telling everybody why mindset is so important for indie authors because it's so easy to kind of get stuck and lose track and be disheartened and fall into a pit of self-hatred and self-doubt and if you don't have the right mindset those kind of negative approaches will destroy you and mean that you stop writing and you stop publishing before your books have ever really had a chance to find their audience. Do you think mindset is something that you are born with, that you can develop? Are you born with it and it can be developed? Or like, is it you're stuck with what you've got or... No, I think everything in life is a scale. I genuinely believe anything, if you want to learn it, can be learned and you know, a lot of what I have learned, I'll be honest, has come from my boyfriend because he has a very different approach to life than I do. And his ambition and his drive really inspires me. And I did come from a very different background where it was a little bit more, everything is black and white and you are right all the time and you have to dig your, you know, heels in when someone tells you that you're wrong and you could do something a better or a different way. Whereas my boyfriend is a software developer and he's like, okay, what's your thoughts on this? you know what can I learn from this approach what can I do differently next time how can I do things better and that approach lends you much more to growing as a person as a writer as a publisher you know in any aspect of your life compared to if you're like I am right I will always be right you know Mm. it reminds me have you ever heard of Carol Dweck I think it is where she talks about uh no wait yeah I think it's her the fixed mindset or growth mindset yes yes yeah 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 but it's so it's amazing that you came from a background where everybody had a fixed mindset and yet still you were able to grow and learn and develop and switch that mindset into into a into a growth mindset and all the while facing like chronic health difficulties (laughs) so it's a real testament to like your grit and determination There was one book that really changed things for me. Mm. And I read it after I published my first book in the summer of 2016. And it's Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed. Oh, yes, I do. I, it's a Yes, I have got it. I do, it's a red. I was like, it's a red mm. book. I'm so weird. Mm. Well, I know books not by their titles, but by their colour or like what they've got on the cover because I'm really visual. So I'm like, oh, yeah, it looks so cool. 
<laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's the red book. <laughs> yeah, I'm so weird. Anyway. All right. So what do you think are the most common mindset mistakes that writers make? Like in particular, while like maybe trying to improve their mindset? I think one of the big ones is they try and go from like writing zero words to wanting to write like 5,000 words a day. And then when they don't do it, they think it's a sign that they'll always be shit Mm. or they'll always have, or they'll never be able to do it. And it's like, well, it's a skill. And if you haven't done it for a little bit, you find it more difficult. I um, drove to the dentist the other day and it's the first time we've driven it like that far in, I don't even know how long. And it was so weird driving again. (laughs) I was like where is the gear what do I do what do I do with the accelerator and it's exactly the same thing when you haven't been writing thousands and thousands of words for a a day you've got to train yourself back into doing that Mm. you know even when I've taken a break to focus on editing for a few months I have to ease myself back into being able to write that many words a day and it's totally possible but it's a skill that you have to build and rebuild it's not a magical thing and it's about when you're trying to make changes to your writing process doing it slowly not going from you know one to one thousand you you know you get one to ten or whatever first and build yourself up to become more and more productive and also more comfortable and more talented in what you're doing yeah I have this like on running battle with uh so I host another podcast called the next level authors podcast and Dan my co-host is a fucking machine when it comes to <laughs> writing and he you know he can easily pump out 8k days um and not just like once like I could and then not write for like two weeks because I was exhausted but he can do it like day after day after day which is amazing but he's very much of the mindset that anybody can do it that you know you just have to grow and learn and build up to it and I'm like no <laughs> like, rah, rah, rah. I've spent my like whole time <laughs> battling with him and uh so I like participated in a challenge and wrote like over 5k which I'd never done before in a day and you know that was proof to me that if I just, you know, adjusted my mindset. I probably could do it. Now, the, now the thing is, I know that, um, like one of my, I don't know if you've ever, have you heard of Becca Syme? I don't think so. Okay. So she talks about strengths and like Clifton strengths, which is like a psychological assessment, a bit like the Myers-Briggs. I'm sure you've heard of that. Um, mm. anyway, and one of my, well, just outside of my top 10 is intellection, which means that you need time to think and percolate so whilst I have learnt that I can hit those word counts I can't hit them day after day after day because I need time to just allow my brain to think so like I would have to like work that into something that like like sprint hard and fast but also then like give myself that percolation time so I suppose it's like a yeah I don't know what I'm trying to say I think is that it's it's a process of having forcing yourself to have self-belief and also finding a process that works for you that may not be identical to anybody else precisely yeah yeah it totally makes sense yeah what what are the common roadblocks that writers come across or maybe that you came across when trying to like build up this positive you know um like mindset what are what are common roadblocks that people face It actually ties into what we've just been discussing and it's something I've faced. It's something that I've seen other writers face at various stages, you know, and people assume once you go full time that, you know, it's a magic solution and suddenly you can write all these words and stuff, but it's a lot harder to do when you're relying on your books to pay the bills and that's motivation. 
staying motivated and maintaining that momentum for an indefinite period of time to keep going to you know to write to edit to do your marketing all of that it can be really challenging sometimes particularly if you wake up in the morning and you're like no I'm not in the mood today um you know when you've got your boss breathing down your neck or colleagues who are relying on you it's very different than when it is just you relying on you yeah I I get um suffer really badly from decision fatigue I don't know if you like but like there was not something I ever used to suffer from when I had a day job because you know all the middle management or senior directors make all the decisions for you whereas now like I get to the end of the day and you know that typical what do you want for dinner I don't I don't mind what do you what do you want for dinner you know and it's sort of I think become incapable of making any decisions like how do you like what has what have you learned to do or what tricks or techniques have you um uncovered to keep your motivation one thing that really helped me actually is my podcast co-host Ellie she got me a diary for my birthday last year and in this diary it's not one of those where you're tied to a specific date you can fill in the dates yourself so it's more flexible and You can put your to-do list in, but it makes you prioritize three things every week and three things every day. And then everything else is just extra. And having those three things to focus on really helps, I think, because you're not overwhelmed by the length of your to-do list. It's like, if I get these three things done, perfect. Everything else is just a bonus on top of that. Mm, I love that. Um, Okay, so what are some other tools or techniques that writers can use to help improve or even maintain their mindset? I think accountability is a big one. Um, My friends and I often do writing sprints together. Like we'll hop onto Zoom and we'll set a timer for like half an hour, 45 minutes, and then we'll sit and write. And having someone see you and know if you're not writing, it does kind of, I hasten to say add to the pressure, but it's also the fact that, you know, you're doing it as a group and everyone is in the same boat and everyone is supporting each other. And I never used to like writing around other people. I was very much, I need to be in my own bunker writing. But I think lockdown has really changed that for me because it's a reason to hang out with people I actually like. Yeah. No, (laughs) it's funny. I was going to ask you, has this changed since lockdown? Because, Mm -hmm. and that's something that I do now as well. And I never did before. And like, you know, before it was just that blissful silence of like being on your own. Um, But then, you know, I suppose we then got to see more people outside of like your core working hours. But now because we don't, I mean, I literally sit on Zoom almost all fucking day, like with different people. Like I have different groups that I sprint with. Some I sprint in the morning, some I'm in the afternoon, some, you know, or whatever. But yeah, I love that. And I also agree because like, it's really, really obvious if you pick up your phone when you're not supposed to be picking up your phone. So I love that. And Exactly. And it's nice. Go on. Uh, it's nice to like catch up at the end like oh how much did you write what did you do what did you discover yeah are you an introvert oh yeah totally okay so like talk to the Mm -hmm. introverts then for those people who like might think that this sounds absolutely horrific because oh my god people on screen like how (laughs) how like yeah convince them I suppose is what I'm saying (laughs) because I love it too It's funny because I do it with a group of introverts. None of us really like going out and socializing or anything, but I think because we're close friends and we're all writers and we're all working towards, you know, publishing our books, 
that really helps because we've got a joint goal and we also are part of a critique group but we operate differently to a lot of critique groups we don't generally send things and go what do you think to this and get feedback on written work we troubleshoot the plots and the characters to fill in the gaps and look for holes before we start writing or when we're like editing or something so the you know we've got different perspectives because we all write slightly different genres and slightly different audiences but there's enough of an overlap where we understand and having that support network really helps you stay motivated because people understand what you're going through and they can pick you up when you're starting to lag and having people you can lean on who really really understand the situation that you're in is invaluable and it's mm. rare as well mm. yeah I agree I think my um, like core group of writing friends I literally would not have got through the last yeah, because they support on so many levels, not only like that troubleshooting or like talking through your plot or whatever, but also just being a face, a muted face on the screen just so that you can sprint. Or then also that that personal side as well, you know, like I used to work in the house by myself. <laughs> like I never had anyone in my house and now my wife is here every single day. <laughs> like sometimes yeah. I just need to tell yeah. somebody else about that, you know? <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I, I think, yeah, having a having that network is just invaluable. Um, I think there are a shitload of myths in the community. Um, and some of those myths can really damage a writer's mindset. So what do you think some of the biggest myths are that are damaging to an author's mindset? And how can or and what is the truth or or how can writers get over those myths one i've certainly noticed is the kind of that everyone knows what they're doing thing <laughs> i remember my my yeah. previous job i went for an interview and i can't remember what i said but i the ceo of the company was within the interview and it, you know this was his third start off and he said no one knows what they're doing everyone is making it up as they go along and that was a real pivotal moment for me because it reminded me, you know, this guy who has got considerably more money than me and is older than me and has done more stuff than me still doesn't know what he's doing. And I found that really reassuring mm. <laughs> just knowing that everyone is making it up as they go along because I have people come to me and they're like, I don't know where to start. And it's like, it's not about where you start. It's about just starting. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You can start in the middle. I quite often start writing my books in the middle. You know, I quite often start researching something halfway through, like, you know, and, it doesn't matter. Just start. Uh, I think that's so true. And I think it helps to put everybody on the same level. It doesn't really matter, like whether you're, you know, one of the most, if you're a seven figure indie author or you're like a two figure indie author, everybody doesn't know like what it is that or, or no, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is you only know what you know. And in order mm -hmm. to get to that next level, you have to experiment and try and, you know, fuck up and, and you know, find those successes and then try and replicate them. And then 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 you can't replicate them and you have to find a different thing. You know, and we are all just like, you know, fudging our way through this whole experience. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I think I think the fact that you know, indie authors are slightly more open to admitting that me is one of the reasons that we have such a like wonderful community of helpful people, because, yeah. you know, I know I don't think, well, perhaps, no, I'm not going to say that. Never mind. I just really like the indie community. And I think everybody's very kind and supportive. And that's where I'm going to put my full stop. 
<laughs> I agree. I definitely agree. And I've learned so much from the indie community, like being a part of the Alley Facebook group of uh, Mark Dawson's SPF ones and also the Wide for the Win one as well. Like they're yeah. such lovely, supportive, encouraging communities. Yeah, I'm currently uh, making my way through, you know, the in the Wide for the Win, they have all of those like uh, posts at the top where they like, mm. oh, my God, I cannot believe. I really need to finish reading those. I do. Because yeah, I've I'm learned like, so much already. I'm like but, picking off one or two a week because it's so much information. I cannot handle it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so highly recommend if you want to be wide that you go and join the Wide for the Win uh, Facebook group. Um, Okie dokie. Lots of writers find it easy to start writing their manuscript, but then they find it really hard to get over the finishing line. So like, why do you think that is? Or do you think it's a mindset thing? Like what tips or tricks do you have for to help authors get over that? I think because idea generation is the fun part. And then people sit down to write and they're like, shit, I've got to write 50,000 words on this. And either they haven't worked through the plot enough, so they don't know if their plot has got enough legs to last the word count, or it's a case of they're just terrified of writing so many words because, you know, at school, maybe we're writing 1,000, 2,000 word essays and that sounded like a lot. Or at yeah. uni, we're doing maybe a 20,000 word dissertation and that's terrifying. And then you're jumping quite a considerable amount. You know, most books are 50 to 100,000 words. And that's terrifying, especially when you factor in doing planning and stuff. And I do find that planning makes a massive difference. I couldn't write as fast as I do if I didn't know my characters first and if I didn't know my plot. And that's not to say that things don't change or evolve while I'm writing or I don't make big changes when I'm editing. But I kind of see it as at least if you've got a plot, you've kind of got that block of almost like Play-Doh that you can mold and play with as you go. Mm. And it has to be adaptable because you will discover new things or decide you like something better or be influenced by something as you go. But at least you've got a framework that you can build on. I love that analogy. Yeah, it's. I, I like my analogies. We use a lot of driving ones on our podcast. <laughs> but my co-host doesn't drive, but she's on board with the driving analogies. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And you haven't driven for ages as well, which is even yeah. funnier. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I that's was... lockdown's fault. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I was cackling away to myself there a little bit because I do remember like being at university and going, oh my fucking God, like how am I going to write 3,000 words? Like a 3,000 word essay, that is enormous. And now I'm like, Psh, that's a chapter, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's funny because I tell people how much I can write in a day and they're like, oh my God, that's loads. I'm like, yeah, but think about how many emails you write. Think about how many text messages, Facebook status, tweets. It all adds up and that's probably more words than you think. And you do that without thinking and you you can train your brain to feel the same about writing books as well what go on terrify me with your word count it varies from day to day when I was doing the first draft of my next book Hollywood Destiny I did 5,000 words a day for about a week a week and a half but I decided that that hurt my hands too much and I hate dictating because my books are so dialogue heavy I would dictate non-fiction but I don't like dictating fiction so I've cut it down now and I tend to aim for three to 4,000 a day if I'm not editing. And if I'm editing, I tend to do it kind of more on a chapter by chapter basis. Mm. And um, I was going to ask you something else about that. Oh, uh, so how, like, how, how much plotting do you do? I know it's hard, a hard thing to quantify, but like how big are your like outlines before you begin? Not very, like half a page. I tend to make half a page to a page of A4. I do it in Scrivener, so you can't really see like page-wise. 
but I tend to bullet point things so I know and I know the key scenes I don't know every minute detail I don't do chapter outlines and stuff I go okay the characters meet here they run into a ghost here this happens here this happens there this is what happens during the climax and then this is how the book ends and then sometimes I will go on and plan the next book in the series so that I can foreshadow things because I've got four books in my ghost series which is coming out later in the year planned and I've got the whole of the rest of the Hollywood gossip series planned and I'm currently editing book four and writing book five at the moment and it's six book series that's a hard I, I plan a lot and I love planning and I, because I've done it so much now I can plan a book in about half an hour wow. if I'm kind of in the zone but I find fantasy harder because I haven't obviously written as many of them yeah. I've plotted like seven of them at the moment <laughs> but only written three I haven't edited two of them so it ah. could be awful I love learning about people's um, like processes because they're always so different, um, yeah. you know. And I know people who write like thirty k outlines, and people like me. No, I go mad. I would hate on the that. <laughs> I really, uh, yeah. My mine started out as post it notes, and it eventually just segued into bullet points because I was much more confident doing it. But for a while, I found post it notes really helpful because I could visualize it and spot where mm. the gaps were and stuff, and I could plan out like the peaks and troughs in the story. So if something got too slow, I could move things around, and that really helped. But I stopped doing that. I think two or three books ago, and you know, I just kind of had an idea for a plot and started like bullet pointing things. And then it just turned into the entire plot had formed a little bit later. Yeah, I start with post-its and then I translate it into like, I break it down into the chapters in Scrivener so that I have Mm. the outline at the top of the chapter. I I find breaking it up in that way really, really helpful. Like, and then it's not just in terms of breaking it up into planning, plotting, writing, editing. It's also stuff like, okay, how many words can I write today? And thinking about that and breaking it down as small as you possibly can, Mm. because I think the smaller you can do it, the less intimidating it is, because if you're seeing it as not writing 50,000 word book, but writing a thousand words a day, which is what I started off with for what happens in New York, it's just a lot less intimidating. Mm. But I think the key is to reward yourself when you hit that goal. And that's where a lot of people go wrong when trying to form new habits they don't celebrate it so you don't get that kind of endorphin kick because you're you're not associating writing with something you love and so it just becomes increasingly more intimidating and more scary so quite often I reward myself with like some chocolate or a soak in the bath or an episode of Lost Girl whatever is kind of my thing of the moment you know I love that. I'm terrible at celebrating. I always reward myself when I finished a book, but it's such a fucking massive, you know, milestone to get to the actual end of a book that, yeah, it's funny because this is becoming a reoccurring like motif over the last couple of months, people telling me to to break things down and, and put in celebrations like at different points. It really so helps. Maybe and I funnily enough, listen. I don't celebrate finishing a book. I never celebrate finishing or publishing a book. I celebrate the small milestones along the way and forget to celebrate actually finishing the thing. <laughs> That is hilarious. I like for me, the biggest I was talking about this at the other uh, yesterday, I think with um, Dan, the biggest thing for me is not the publishing, but the finishing of the first draft, because that's the part I find the hardest. Like I, mm-hmm. I, my edits don't generally take very long. I can usually get through the editing of a book in a week or so, but 
getting to the fucking finish line of that first draft is an is just like such a monumental effort that I generally there are a lot of photos of me lying on random floors depending on like where where it is where I am when I finished it because I tend to just collapse like with relief more than anything yeah I'm the opposite you know I can draft really quickly but editing takes me a really long time and I think Ah. it's because I used to hate it it's hard to put into words how much I used to hate editing it was like my least favorite part of the writing process it took me forever I tried to avoid doing it I didn't really know what I was doing and over time because obviously you technically spend more time editing than you do writing I'm now a lot more comfortable editing and sometimes when it comes to starting a new book if I haven't done your first drafts for a while it's like what this mm. is really weird <laughs> I can just throw things on the page now I don't need to worry about anything else and it's a bizarre feeling to go back to that blank page which I used to adore and now is a very different feeling yeah, it is. I love I love this and this like evolution of our um, like craft. One thing I've started doing uh, more recently is skeleton drafting, um, because I find it so hard to get to the end of a draft. I um, try to make it as easy as possible to get to the end of that draft. So instead of you know making it a seventy or eighty thousand word first draft, it might only be a fifty or sixty word that you know draft, and then I go in and pad everything out in the editing because I'm much faster at that. Anyway, right. So you are a full time author now. So what do you think are like the biggest mindset challenges you continue to face in the day to day running of your business? Staying motivated. <laughs> it's. Honestly, it's hard to put into words how hard it is to motivate yourself when you're relying on yourself. And it's like, oh, shiny thing I want to play with. And it's like, no, you need to focus. And focusing on one series for a really long time can be quite scary, but that is the best way to monetize what you're doing. And that's part of why I want to finish my second series this year. Originally, my plan was the end of next year. It's like, no, that doesn't make sense. And you've got all this time. You've written a first draft in like a week. Why are you saying you're going to do it by the end of next year when you can clearly do it this year? You're just like being too soft on yourself. You know, it's knowing when you're being too soft on yourself and when you're being too hard on yourself. And that's a really difficult thing to do and comes from a lot of self-awareness as well because I don't work like well I work really weird hours like I don't really start until like two o'clock in the afternoon most days and sometimes I'll be going until 10 o'clock midnight which isn't helpful and I wouldn't recommend it because it ruins your sleeping pattern and you end up doom scrolling until like 2 a.m not (laughs) a good idea but you know some days I will only work for a couple of hours but those couple of hours are really productive and that's what matters and then that means that I can rest so my joints don't hurt as much and my brain fog doesn't kick in because on those days when my brain fog is really bad I do have to rest you know and that's the worst part of fibro and chronic fatigue for me is when I can't think straight and I can't articulate Mm. things and I tend to be able to sort of write first drafts then but I know if I get to the point where I can't really write first drafts and I can't read things and process what I'm reading that's when I really need to slam on the brakes and stop doing stuff and basically just spend my day playing games like Stardew Valley because they don't have a plot so my brain isn't constantly trying to analyze things and pick things apart. And like for those listeners who are facing like personal struggles be they I don't know like parenting or health um, struggles or, or mental health or 
and any any type of struggle like what have you learned or like through succeeding and continuing to like keep going through your own personal struggles like what would you say to those people listening who who are desperate perhaps to be full-time or you know um get over a, a particular business milestone or whatever There are two things I've really noticed that help. And the first is support network. It's hard to overstate how important it is to have the right people around you, people who understand what you're going through. They don't have to empathize, but they have to have sympathy for you. They have to be able to give you hugs when you need it. They have to let you rant when you need to rant. They have to essentially pick up on when you feel like crap. You know, like when you notice the change in um, your wife's pallor, for example, that's such a minute thing most people wouldn't notice. Mm. And the other thing I've noticed, and a lot of people aren't going to like this, (laughs) most people have internal barriers that they are not aware of. They've buried them so deep and so subconsciously that they don't know it's holding them back. And I have friends who have done exercises to help with this kind of thing, who have insisted that there isn't, you know, they've worked through all their issues and they do one exercise and they go, oh my God, how was I functioning with all of this in my head? Mm. Mm. And everyone has them, everyone, but so many people, because they manage to do the day-to-day, they assume they're fine. But actually, it's about being more than fine. Fine is just, it's okay, it's boring, but don't you want to exceed? Don't you want to excel? Don't you want to be brilliant? Mm. But getting over those kind of mental roadblocks, which can often be very deep-rooted trauma, not necessarily one instance of trauma but could be like a sequence of things that build up and beat you over the head repeatedly which can sometimes be even worse because they are so small they seem insignificant until you analyze them it's terrifying but it makes a massive difference I think you would be fascinated by uh, the Clifton Strengths stuff that Becca Syme does I'm going to talk to you about that afterwards Um, definitely what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned during your writing career that sort of, I guess, like helped you get to the full-time status? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I think for me, it is focusing on one series, but also focusing in general, being able to focus during writing sessions and not talking to people and not doing six other things while you're trying to write. Writing time is sacred and should be treated as such, but also not trying to do a million things and be a million different things to a million different people I apologize if you can hear the dog bark (laughs) it's all right (laughs) usually they get the cat scratching so don't worry I think there's a delivery at the door yeah (laughs) because we don't have we don't need a doorbell we have the dog yeah (laughs) um no I think it is just being able to focus and motivate yourself and also be able to see that you've got these roadblocks and work through them and that is the hardest thing Mm. and so I think what can stop a lot of people is that fear because we can be afraid of the very thing we want the most just as much as we are of not achieving it yeah yeah I think that is so very true and it's also really really fucking difficult to like self-improve anyway like it's a hard thing to accept that you have flaws and that you have you have to be the one to take the action to rectify the thing that is like holding you back it so it is a hard pill to swallow yeah I I used to know someone who would like read endless streams of self-improvement books but she didn't implement any of the learnings and she couldn't understand why nothing would change 
Yeah. And I'll be honest, like the thing that changed my life the most, I don't know if you've heard of it, is called expressive writing. Um, is it like free writing? It's a bit like that, but it's like that on steroids. Okay. So you write without a filter, like you're doing free writing, but you focus on a particular event, a particular person, a particular situation, whatever. And then you write about how it makes you feel, not what happened, but how it made you feel. So it's kind of like extreme journal writing, because in my head, journal writing is writing what happened and not thinking about emotions. But it is a way of offloading your emotions and exploring those deep, dark crevices of your mind that most people, as I said, are very, very afraid of. But exploring those deep, dark crevices helps you get over these internal barriers. And I found that some of the people I've helped with this have actually gone on to write better characters because they're not afraid to go to those really evil places that their characters go to. It's funny, I, as you were talking, I was like, oh, this is a kind kind of like an exercise that I do with like trying to get to know my characters um, and, you know, asking them to talk about and you like it's. I could sound like an absolute psycho, but you sort of say to them, you know, um, an open-ended question, tell me about um, that event in your past. And then you just let them talk, but in their own voice and about like the pain and the hurt or the, the jealousy or whatever it is and, you know, how it made them feel and what the result was. And it is amazing, like how much deeper you can get with a character if you just like do allow them to do that expressive writing. I love that. And I hope that listeners... Um, take that little nugget and uh... I'd highly recommend it I really would it's one of those people go oh I don't need to do this I have I've dealt with everything I'm like pick a person and just write about them and they're like oh my god because everyone has that one person that just grates on them somehow yeah people feel ashamed of that and it's like because you're ashamed you're bottling it up but then it makes you feel worse and it becomes this kind of vicious cycle yeah or the person that got away or the person that hurt them the most or the person yeah, yeah. like yeah I love that I love this I might have to go and do this and then burn it, it so nobody it. can ever <laughs> find it <laughs> yeah yeah that's the key thing you have yeah. to destroy it at the end yeah. so I type because I can type infinitely faster than I can write by hand and then like closing the x at the end deeply satisfying or maybe you want to set it on fire somewhere safe or rip it into tiny little pieces but you have to destroy it because the point is you're not writing it to be read you are writing it to kind of offload in the same way you would in a therapy session but for some people they're more comfortable writing it than speaking it aloud or because it's more internal you're going to find things more than if you're just you know talking to a counsellor. That's a fantastic tip and it's also a great segue because you have written a book on creating good characters and I am currently writing a book on uh, side characters so tell me in your opinion how do you create good side characters? I think it depends on their role in the story. Certainly for me, I have a cast of characters in my head before I have a story. They're just like there and they won't go away until I give them a story. So then the side characters tend to form about around the role they serve in that story. And in my third series, I had this family that were being haunted. And there was initially five of them. There was the mom, the dad the oldest son, the middle child, and then the younger daughter. And as I was planning it, I was like, what, what is the purpose of this middle child? What is she doing? And I knew her name before I knew anyone else's. But it's like, she's not serving a role in the story. And there's already a lot of characters and I'm going to have to cut this character. I don't want to cut. So I think for me, it is about their role in the story and finding ways to, yes, give them a role in the story. So they're not just there as 
you know, for the sake of it, but also finding ways to flesh them out around that, like giving them interesting hobbies, or maybe they've got an interesting hair color. For example, like one of my upcoming characters, she's got red and black checkerboard hair, you know, giving them just something to show that they have a story outside of your story, even if it's not something that warrants its own book. Yeah, I love that. Okay, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. I was told not to publish my third book. (gasps) Wow. And I did it anyway. Yeah, you did. Why? Why would someone tell you not to publish it? It was my first book, first nonfiction book, sorry, Productivity for Writers. And at that point, I'd only published two fiction books, although I'd been blogging for a while. I worked as a content marketer for my day job and I had some people beta read it and they were like, I don't feel like anything in this is particularly new. It's, um, you know, fairly basic. I don't feel like you're adding it. But at the same time, I had readers of my blog saying, you know, how did you do all of this at the same time? You know, I want to know about your processes and so I was like well I'm be I have this beta reader yes who is more advanced but then I have all these readers messaging me saying how do you do it and asking for tips and I could keep writing individual emails to help people or I could give them a book and I also had some other people say to some people I was quite close to say to me you know maybe you're not old enough yet maybe you need more experience and you're about because I was 26 27 at the time and I was like but people are asking me for this book and they are my target audience for it not these people who are telling me not to publish it so I published it anyway and it became my best-selling book for about two years yeah I I completely I had a very similar uh journey I you know people when there is a market and you know your posts your blog posts go viral like it is telling you to to publish that because I, I published non-fiction before I published fiction and you know I definitely had some comments well you know what right do you have to do that well because I have a fucking voice and I've learned some fucking lessons you know so yeah and that's what I was doing I was sharing the lessons that I had learned and I think it's such a brilliant reminder that it doesn't matter where you are in your journey you know more than some people and you know less than others. There will always be somebody else who is ahead of you and there will always be somebody who is behind you. Um, but that you know, that still means that you can help the, those that are behind you. Um, and the thing is, even when there is 5,000 other books on the same topic, nobody can talk about that topic in the way that you can talk about that topic. And, exactly. You know, and that's why readers of like genres go back to that genre or that topic because they want more information on that topic and so you should never ever be afraid to like publish a book um on a topic where there is already you know five other books on that because it just doesn't matter people will want yeah to and know. the thing is a lot of the books on productivity at the time they were all like drink more water get up earlier and do this and I'm like no <laughs> the thing it ties back into the mindset stuff we were talking about you can't be more productive if you don't know why you're unproductive mm. and so the first kind of third of productivity for writers is about working out what's holding you back and it's stuff people don't want to talk about maybe they are depressed and they don't know they're depressed maybe they're anxious and they don't know they are maybe they've got a crappy support network and they don't want to admit it maybe they are prioritizing watching too many episodes of lost girl instead of actually writing <laughs> i'm re-watching lost girl i don't know if you can tell yeah i can, I can tell <laughs> 
I love this and I love how much of a rebel you are as well because I don't know if you realize how much of a rebel you are but even like your tone everything that everything that you everything that you embody and that you say is super rebellious so it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and can you tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books courses podcasts anything else um, that you'd like yeah so you can check out my blog post podcast and our courses at writerscookbook.com and we've got some courses on mindset some on characterization some that help you weave your characters to your plot we've got a little bit of everything and you can check out more about my books at christinaadamsauthor.com and that's where you can find out about all my series the stuff that is out now and the stuff that's in progress and more about my nonfiction. and if you want to drop me a message my facebook page is christina adams author and i'm on facebook a lot Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you, of course, to all of the show's listeners and a huge thank you to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Christina Adams, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I will be talking to Joya Goffney. Um, and we are talking all about how to write uh, about identity. We're talking about um, characters who undergo like identity change and how to like write that whilst keeping like the integrity of your your character the same. It's a fascinating conversation. And yeah, join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.